0: 360 podcast a sports ethos production i'm your host candace higgins and it's always a pleasure and it's a privilege to talk hogs with you i hope you guys had a wonderful thanksgiving i am recording this day after thanksgiving and hope everybody had a great holiday the seahawks certainly enjoyed their bye week as they got several breaks now, not everything went the seahawks way as the falcons and the commanders did find a way to win but it was huge that The Broncos lost this week, the Rams lost this week, and the Cardinals lost. Unfortunately, the Cardinals lost to the 49ers. And (laughs) their win ultimately put the 49ers back at the top of the NFC West. So the Seahawks are no longer in first place. But outside of that, it went about as well as you could have hoped for the Seattle Seahawks. And they entered the bye, or they exit the bye coming coming out healthy the injury report report looks wonderful uh, nobody has officially been ruled out of the game upcoming against the raiders except for D. Eskridge. i'm not going to do a diaz rant today maybe i'll say that for another time but anyway it's good vibes here so i'll stick with the good vibes the seahawks have a lot of good things going for them and a lot of things to be excited about so what i want to do is start off this episode and I want to do some bold predictions for the second half because there was really there was a lot of questions, a lot of unknowns about this team when the season first started. And my predictions for what the team looks like this, this second half of the season looks nothing like what I predicted they would look like at the beginning of the year. And I think it's just right to pivot. I honestly thought that they would struggle in the second half of the year because some of the opponents that they had, like the Rams, twice look tough preseason but now look like cupcake walks and so we got a lot of get a lot of things to get into we'll start off with the bold predictions and then the Seahawks do have a game the bye week is over and there is a game to break down so we'll break down everything you need to know for the Raiders versus Seahawks game coming up this Sunday so let's get into it and talk some Hawks All right, so let's get some things started with some bold takes. Today is Friday and Jake and Stacy, if you used to listen to Jake and Stacey's, Stacey's show on 710 ESPN Seattle, they used to have a segment called Bold Take Friday. And it, it was a segment I enjoyed. A lot of people feel differently about Jake and, and what that was, but I enjoyed the segment. It, I'm going to sort of take a, take a hint from them this is Friday so we're gonna do some bold takes on the second half of what this Seahawks season will look like and I'll get into some awards and things like that I'll go from least bold to most bold and we'll end on that note so let's start us off with bold takes alright so I got six bold takes number six the least bold take that I have I believe that Ken Walker III will be the end of the year offensive rookie of the year and I know that's not that bold but I will say this one I called at the very beginning of the offseason like when he was drafted you can go back you can check the receipts I claim that Ken Walker III would be the offensive rookie of the year I did anticipate Rashad Penny getting hurt I didn't think it'd be season injury or six season ending per se, but I did think that he would get hurt and that Ken Walker would be able to go on a run that would allow for him to be offensive rookie of the year. Because I just didn't think it would be a quarterback, right? Like just looking at the quarterback class, I didn't have the faith that that'd be the case. And I figured if even for a stretch of time, Ken and Walker had the opportunity to really put this team on his back, he would be able to shine. And that's exactly what he's done right now. The betting odds have him at plus 175 as the favorite, the betting favorite for Offensive Rookie of the Year. Now, he did come off of a pretty tough game against the books; Only had 17 yards on 10 carries. So he's got to bounce back in the second half and he's got to finish strong. He's not just going to be given this award because Damian Pierce is right on his heels. But if he can continue the production that he's had, Particularly being clutch in these fourth quarters. I think that's what's impressing people the most. most. It's just his ability to wear a defense down and, and go off and finish games in the fourth quarter. He can do those things. I think the award is his. That's bowl take number six. Bowl take number five. The Seattle Seahawks will go to the playoffs. They will go to the playoffs. And... I guess it is on the lower end because it's not that bold to say that at this point. It was super bold to say that KJ Wright said something along those same lines at the beginning of the offseason and he was called crazy and everybody disregarded him. Even I kind of I didn't think this team would be good enough to go to the playoffs. But right now, ESPN, uh, their projections have the Seahawks with a 78% chance to make the playoffs. So it's actually not that bold of a statement. It's bold to say because uh, the, the the West is tighter. There's less margin for error than they than there was before. The Falcons, are they're, they're not dead from the playoff race. The Commanders are definitely alive and well in the playoff race and the hunt. And so it's not guaranteed by any stretch, but I think there's a very good chance that your Seattle Seahawks will be in the playoffs this year. And I gotta be honest, I going into this year thought that the Seahawks going to the playoffs would be probably the worst case scenario for the team's future because I was looking at it and I was going, and I was going this team isn't Super Bowl ready yet they still have a lot of holes that need to be filled and if they go on some crazy run and make the playoffs they're gonna kill their chances in terms of getting a high draft pick And they're going to lose the opportunity to get a franchise quarterback. Now, what I did not account for is Geno playing like an MVP candidate, which he is. I also didn't account for the rookies, as many of them stepping up as they have. And then, another important thing that I didn't necessarily account for in that was my my bold take number four. And that is that the Broncos are actually going to be providing the Seahawks with a top five pick in the draft. And right now, statistics say there's a 70% chance of that. But I think that's how this thing goes. And that is huge for the Seahawks because I always wanted this team to be competitive. I didn't want them to tank. I felt like there was a fine balance between winning games and being competitive. I wanted this team to win... Seven to eight games, right? Put themselves in position to still have a good draft pick, to still get a a good quarterback in what I thought would be a very deep quarterback class, but to still get the rookies enough motivation, enough understanding of what winning means and what winning requires to be able to contribute and be blue chippers for this team in their second year. That was my thinking. Walk the balance, don't tank. Be competitive, but don't sink your chances of getting a good quarterback. And like I said, Gino has played like an MVP candidate. And on another episode, maybe we'll talk more about Gino and the future and what that looks like. But right now, he does look like the future. If the team can afford to re sign him, he does look like the future. And what's even more, I think, leaning me in the direction that the Seahawks going to the playoffs is good after all is that this quarterback class looks underwhelming every quarterback is flawed in some way except for maybe CJ Stroud and a lot of the quarterbacks in this class don't even really outside of CJ Stroud and Hendon Hooker who just unfortunately tore his ACL none of those players fit the Seahawks system a KJ Jefferson is really great He's, he's, he's athletic, but the Seahawks will have to change their entire offensive structure around KJ Jefferson. And I don't think that they should do that. I don't think, I think they've got a good thing going. I think they should stick with what they have and the personnel that they have right now. And so, the ultimate reason why I do think they might have to just hang on to Geno and use the top, th- top five pick on defense because that's the weaker unit at this point. Right now, Seahawks have a top five, top ten offense, at least by all metrics. In a lot of metrics, they have a top five offense. So those are bold takes four, four, five and four. One, that the Seahawks will go to the playoffs, but that they will still get a top five pick via the Broncos. Thank you, Russell Wilson. Okay, moving on. My next bold take is that Pete Carroll will finally be the coach of the year isn't it insane to me or it's over to you I know it's insane to me that of all these years that Pete Carroll has coached especially coming in changing this program getting this team to a Super Bowl that he never won coach of the year that's crazy right he is a great coach, and he's got his flaws, and his flaws still show. But the whole Russell leaving thing has really let everybody know that Pete Carroll is truly valuable, even at this age, as a coach. And and that's not it's not a foregone conclusion that Pete Carroll is the coach of the year. I think Seahawks fans feel like Pete Carroll should be the coach of the year. When you look at the national perspective, the runaway coach of the year had been brian dayball now the giants are in a bit of a pitfall here They, they 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 haven't been really since they lost the game to the seahawks they've been on a bit of a downward spiral and i think that's going to help pete's chances not not only the fact that he was able to beat brian dayball but that if this trend continues and if the seahawks are able to continue on a high trajectory the way they were before that they beat him head to head, and that ultimately he was able to have a better year and be would be, be more successful. If these trends, if these teams continue to trend in the directions that they're looking like they're trending right now. The other national candidate that's been pumped up quite a bit is Nick Sariani and the Philadelphia Eagles, and I think that he was getting a lot of love because the Eagles were undefeated and. Nobody really expected this to be an undefeated team. People were talking about, could this team go 17-0? And And if they win 17-0, I think Nick Ceriani would have definitely been the runaway with that award. But now they've lost. Um, They're no longer undefeated. And I think that this team was expected to be a 13-win team, a 14-win team. Once they made the moves for A.J. Brown or made the move to get A.J. Brown, I think it was pretty much expected this team would be at the top of the NFC. A lot of people projected that. And so I'm not sure that it's as much of a story, right? Because part of, part of these awards is narrative. And I think Pete has a better story than Nick Sirianni who had a talented team and ultimately helped them win games, right? Um, He's a great coach, no doubt. And I think the Eagles wouldn't look the same without him, but it's still a question. Now the guy that I think will probably be the most competition at this point is going to be Kevin O'Connell because Kevin O'Connell had the Vikings, the same Vikings team really that the that the, that Mike Zimmer just got fired from. They have made a ton of upgrades to that team, not really. And he's got this team winning games. Right now, the Vikings are 9 and 2 and they are at the top of their division. They are a runaway with their division at this point and I don't think anybody expected that I, I really don't nobody expected that team who had who had been so mediocre be, they've been so mediocre up to this point they just pretty much been in the middle of the pack a good team a team you respected but not a team that you really expected to do anything not a team that you really expected greatness for and Kevin O'Connell has come in and he's made this team great that's a huge accomplishment now I do think I would argue Many of you would argue that Pete Carroll was touted to be one of the worst teams in the NFL. Most people had them picking the top three in their mock drafts pre, pre, uh, pre-season pre so that Pete Carroll done, did, did more even though his record might not be the same. I can understand how you look at it and say Kevin O'Connell has had more success with his team. And. He did it with the same team. And maybe Pete Carroll got to come in and make the team his own. You know, whatever. It is all about narrative. I think that's his biggest competition. But I still think that Pete Carroll and the Seahawks finish strong. And make it not a question that Pete Carroll is undoubtedly the coach of the year. Okay. Alright, let's get into my top two bowl takes. So, My next one is, Tariq Willem will finish the year with nine interceptions. Nine interceptions, one forced fumble, four fumble recoveries, and two touchdowns, and three tackles for loss. Now, I know that's a very specific stat line, right? (laughs) I know, and I am probably getting a little carried away. It's probably not going to be spot on, what I call it. I'd be surprised if it were, but I will stand by for sure the nine interceptions. Now, you may say, Candace, it is that's four out of the next seven games. There are only seven games left. He'd have to get an interception in four of the next seven. I think that's pretty much the pace this guy has been on. I don't think you can expect him to get an interception every game. And it's possible that quarterbacks will have learned that they cannot throw with him and et cetera, et cetera. But I'm looking at the quarterbacks that the Seahawks will face. And while they might not throw. At, or might not want to throw at Tariq Woolen, I'd argue that they won't have a ton of choice. I mean, I, I mean, I just think they're going to eventually have to throw because they're going to have their best receivers on Tariq. And at some point, you've got to take that chance. And there are just a lot of guys he's playing quarterbacks who he'll be playing against that are turnover prone, right? So let's just take a look at the schedule the rams they gotta face the Rams twice. that's matt stafford maybe if not that's the backup and i will say the seahawks have had a terrible history of letting backups eat them apart i don't know how this will apply this year if that narrative will change or not but i still think it's likely somebody throws a pick and i think it's a good chance if a pick is thrown it's gonna go to tariq woolen especially in two matchups right even if you only got a pick in one of those then they're playing baker mayfield Baker Mayfield, can can you not see Tariq Willem picking off Baker Mayfield? Come on, everybody can see that. Now Jimmy G, he might not get a pick against Jimmy G. Jimmy G is turnover prone and he does not play particularly well against the Seahawks. But I can see the argument how you say Jimmy is just smart enough, they got enough weapons where Jimmy doesn't have to worry about throwing at Tariq. He can avoid Tariq completely and still have a ton of weapons. I would agree with that sentiment. That's why I don't count on Tariq being able to pick off Jimmy G. He's definitely not going to be able to pick off Mahomes. If so, I would immediately want to crown him Defensive Rookie of the Year, not Sauce Gardner, off that alone. But I don't think that's going to happen. So, that is what it is. And then the Jets. And who knows? Who knows who's going to be playing for the Jets in week 16, 17? Who knows? They've just benched Zach Wilson. Joe Flacco's gonna play. Got another guy, I think. You don't know what you're gonna get. Either way, I can see a pick coming. I just can't. And so for that reason, I think he can get nine picks. I know it's that's why it's bold. It's not a guarantee he's gonna get nine picks, especially because quarterbacks aren't gonna want to throw his way in the second half of the season. I think they I think they're learning lessons from throwing at Tariq. But, like I said, I mean, if you even look at this game against the Raiders, Oh, well, Adams is probably going to be on Tariq a good bit, right? Well, he's going to throw to Adams. So, chances are, yeah, that, that that may happen. I don't think it will against Carr. I don't think he'll pick off Carr, But it puts him in the position, is all I'm saying. Now, as for the rest of his stat line, I do think he's going to force at least one fumble. It's been Kobe Bryant who's been the guy that's forcing fumbles, but make no mistake, I think Tariq has a knack for turnovers in general. I think he's I think he's learning a, going to learn a few things from Kobe Bryant in bed of you know, force a fumble. He's a playmaker. He's just a difference maker when you give him an opportunity and I can just see him getting at least one forced fumble. Right now, he does not have one. He, right now, he has two fumble recoveries, and I think because Kobe Bryant will continue to force fumbles, that he'll get two more recoveries. Uh, I think that's pretty, I don't think that's bold at all, that particular part. And I think he will get another touchdown. I think one of those picks, particularly against the Rams, will be a pick six. Because Matt Stafford, if he's playing, throws an awful lot of pick sixes. And so, I be mean, last year, I think he led the league in pick sixes, if I'm not mistaken. And so, I think Tariq Willen takes advantage of that. He's smart enough at that point, And you see him get a touchdown off of it. And then three forced fumbles. He has two, I mean, three three tackles for loss. He has uh, one tackle for loss right now. I could see him getting two more. Because one thing I've noticed is that he is pretty good in the run game as well. Um, his one tackle for loss was in the run game. And I think he, it, with the second half, um, having a week to take a step back and sort of just reevaluate, step away from the game, I think you could see a more aggressive, Tariq Willen, in the run game and him Get a couple of tackles for loss, especially because I think he's going to want to find ways to impact the game. I think he knows quarterbacks won't throw with him as much, and he'll be seeking out opportunities to make plays for his team. Because that just seems to be the kind of mindset the guy has. Um, if you haven't noticed, I'm a huge fan of his by now, and um, part of the reason—that's part of the reason why because I think he just looks for ways to contribute and to play make for his team and to get the ball back to the offense. So my boldest take this is my boldest take for the season and that is that the seattle seahawks will finish the rest of their season and they will go six and one yeah i said it six and one six and one it's a little crazy isn't it maybe (laughs) maybe i'm getting carried away with myself maybe i'm just feeling a little excited from what i've seen in the first half but when you look at this if you look at the opponent this schedule just isn't as scary as it was in the preseason it's just not so let's let's go through this we talked about it a little bit when i was talking about Tariq. but let's go through these games again so this raiders game spoiler alert for the rest of the episode i predict that they win this game they should win this game if they take care of business They have a good game plan. We'll get into the ins and outs in a bit, but they should win the game against the Raiders. Then they play the Rams. Also, a game they should win. Cooper Cup is out. Stafford might be back. Who knows? But really, who cares? This is a team you should win against, period. I know they have Super Bowl experience, but they are just on their last leg. They're ravaged with injuries. They let running backs go. They, I think they they know that they're they're not going anywhere this year. And so, you'll see that on the field. The Seahawks have every reason in the world to win that game. They'll be in the middle of a playoff push. The commanders are pushing those guys. they got to get those wins. So, I think they win against the Rams. I think they win against the Panthers. Because while the Panthers have a respectable defense, a pretty good defense actually, in fact, their offense is abysmal. And there's no reason why Geno Smith should not be out playing Baker Mayfield. He might have, have even have a chip on his shoulder because all offseason long, everybody, including the Seahawks fan base, was saying the, that the Seahawks have Geno, they should trade for Baker. The Seahawks have Geno, they need to trade for Baker. Every national media pundit, every really everyone except for people in the Seahawks building was advocating for the Geno Smith. To be replaced by baker mayfield and i think gino might have a little bit of now he's shown that he's not you know if you ask him he'll say he's not motivated by that he just wants to play you he know he's playing humble cool cool by me but his play is aggressive in those games and you can tell when he's got a chip on his shoulder just a little bit you can tell he's got an edge to him when he plays those games man he's a little fiery I expect to see more of that against the Panthers and I expect the Seahawks to get that win, Alright. So they should come out three and zero. that's halfway there. All right, then we get a little sketchy. So they play the 49ers, that game will be huge and will ultimately determine who will win the division. The Seahawks did not do well. Terrible game in week two when they played them. Boy, was it a terrible game. And the 49ers didn't have Christian McCaffrey then. But the Seahawks were a very different team at that point, at that point, Geno wasn't even given the full playbook. They were playing super conservative. They didn't trust their O line yet because of those rookie tackles. They, I think they trusted Geno, but they just didn't know. They didn't want Geno to get hurt, you know, passing a bunch behind two rookie tackles. So they had a very conservative playbook, and they had opportunities to win that game. They just the timing of the of the play calls were weird. They had the weird Dallas DJ Dallas interception where he tries to throw the ball it was unnecessary they just tried to get too cute sometimes sometimes it worked sometimes it didn't and i think they've learned a lot this if Pete Carroll knows how to play against a cal shanahan coach team christian mccaffrey or not and maybe that's the difference in this game and if they were to lose two games i think the 49ers could be one but i'm going to say the seahawks shock the world and pull off the upset Because it will be an upset. Seahawks will not be favored. But I think it's very possible that the Seahawks can go into San Francisco and win that game. Actually, no, it's a home game. Just kidding. (laughs) That's even better. Uh, I think they can win that game. So, then the Chiefs. Now, I do think they lose that one. And it's not to say that the Chiefs aren't beatable. So, mark my words. I can see the Seahawks going undefeated. And I'm being bold, not crazy. Even if they don't lose against the Chiefs, maybe they drop another one that I don't expect them to drop. So I'm still going six and one, even if they lost isn't with the Chiefs. The Chiefs do have vulnerabilities. I think they've shown that, especially at the beginning of the season. But I also think that they're, you know, they're kind of hot now. I think they're finding their momentum at the right time. As they should. I think they're finding how to finding out what their offense looks like without Tyreek Hill think they'll look more explosive down the stretch i think they'll be hard to beat now they do have a very mediocre defense i do think gino will be able to have a good game against patrick but we'll learn a lot about gino and his and how he might perform in the playoffs based on this game i really do based off of the matchup against the 49ers and the chiefs because those will be two playoff like games and i as you know in predicting that the Seahawks will make the playoffs. I think another thing, just a side note, one main benefit to the Seahawks going to the playoffs this year is seeing how Geno plays in those situations. If they're gonna pay him $30 million plus, which is what he's rightfully owed at this point, they need to know that he can win playoff games. You wanna see Geno win at least one playoff game. You wanna see that he can take this team pretty far if you put a good enough roster around him. Anyway, that's an aside. I think the Chiefs, that's an L. I do think they beat the Jets. I think at that point, the Jets have pretty much called it in the season. They're a good team. but I, And I think it'll be frisky. It won't be an easy win. But I think the Seahawks know how to win those games. They definitely have a better offense. And I just, the Seahawks are a better team. Jets are frisky. And I think the defense will need to play hard because it will not be easy for Geno. In that in that Jets game, and if and if they somehow happen to by miracle win against the Chiefs, I think they lose to the Jets. That's just that's why I think they win. They lose one game regardless. And then they finish off the year with a game against the Rams, and I think they win that game again. I think they sweep the Rams for the first time. I don't know. That's poor broadcast production on my part. I actually don't know when is the last time that the Seahawks swept the Rams, but I don't think it's been in the. Uh, in the Sean McVay era. I'll tell you that. I could say that for sure. I think that's how it goes. So those are my bold predictions for the year. Now let's get into the breakdown of what I think this game will look like specifically against the Raiders versus Seahawks. Now there are a few key matchups for this game. The number one that everybody's going to be talking about is pretty obvious and that is Devontae Adams, one of the best wide receivers in the league. In fact, he is actually ranked number one for PF and PFF in terms of wide receivers in the league. Against Tariq Woolen, who is not rated as well, he's rated number 32, I think PFF does him a disservice. But nevertheless, Tariq is no thing to be sad at, no matter what PFF says, as he has five interceptions. And according to PFR, nine passes defensed on the year. So that will be an incredible matchup. I'm curious to see how Tariq matches up. I think he can match up easily with his speed. The question is, will has he learned enough in his experience to, you know, to just kind of the savvy? Because a lot of what Devontae Adams does is just pure savvy. And I think that he may, may be able to take advantage of that against Tariq just because he knows how to get catches even when you cover it perfectly. Like, He's just that guy. So I'm really curious to see how Willen holds up. I think he'll learn a lot from him. And um, hopefully he's had the chance. I think it's good that it's coming off by week where he's had the chance to evaluate his game and hopefully learn from his mistakes. He's, he's done a great job in terms of um, growing already. He seemed to grow really quickly. He doesn't get nearly as many penalties as he did his first five weeks now. So you saw you've seen improvement from him in that regard. Just technically, can he be savvy enough to stop allowing some of the touchdowns? I think PFF has credited him with now three touchdowns allowed. I, I do think that the Julio breakdown was a little unfair, and not necessarily on him, but they did credit him with that touchdown. So now he's allowed three, and I think he's got to he's got to find ways to avoid that. He's got to get better. I think at mastering the pass breakup. And if he can do that, I know he's big on trying to get interceptions and he's got ball hawking skills, but I think he's got to learn how to break up the pass versus getting the interception instead of always going for the interception. And he'll find that right balance. Um, I love for him getting interceptions. It's great for the team. But I think that if he sometimes would just take the pass defense, play a little bit more conservative, that he could, you know, Go, go far with it. I think that's the approach when you're playing Devontae Adams. It's not really a time to gamble. you have games where he can gamble. Against Devontae Adams, is not. Play conserv- play conservatively, but to get as many passes defense that you can. And if he can do that, then I think he can win this matchup. Now, another matchup to pay attention to is Josh Jacobs versus the entire defensive line. Because it has been extremely inconsistent, to say the least, all year. Um, They were on a streak where they were one of the top teams in terms of rush defense. And then the Buccaneers, who have absolutely no run game, historically bad run game, was able to just run all over them. And so we're going to learn. And this game was just a one-off because it was in Germany and a whole other country, different time zone, different settings. And this will be at home in America, for one, as Will Disley put it in his his, uh, presser this week. Will they be able to step up? And this will be a heck of a challenge. Now, this is another guy who is, is ranked. Despite the, the Raiders offense being so poor <laughs> in terms of rankings, they are, Josh Jacobs is the number one ranked running back in PFF. he got the number one ranked wide receiver and the number one ranked running back. that means these guys are doing their jobs and you have got to defend them. They must have a better strategy than those stupid four man fronts that just invite teams to run on them. I need to see some bare front techniques, I mean schemes. That needs to be exactly what they run because it works and it fits their personnel. More than anything, I need to see Brian, Brian Monet, who I don't think they'll make the mistake again of having him be active when he's healthy. That won't happen anymore. I think they learned a valuable lesson. But that'll be a key matchup. If you can bottle up this run game, you can bottle up the, the offense. Especially with Tariq Willem being, being able to match up so well, I think against DeMonte Adams and his speed. So that's going to be a key to the game. And then the last key I'll mention is Max Crosby, who has been a monster against Charles Cross. And Charles Cross has had some up and down games. He really... He's still really young, and I think it shows. I think he's got a future as a left tackle for this team. But I think that he's had a rough start. I think he's he is so much younger than so many other left tackles have been when they've begun. And, you know, he's had some games where that showed. Will he be able to hold up against a Max Crosby? It will be a big test for him. And I'm just curious to see, as this season trudges along, do the rookies hit a rookie ball? Or are they able to rise to the occasion? Does this bye week really help them in that way? We'll begin to learn some of the answers to that on Sunday as Max Crosby enters this game with nine sacks and 38 pressures. So it'll be the matchup to watch for. And just a bonus one, I know I'm going to mention this. I don't really know how much of a factor it will be. Maybe it ends up being a bigger factor than I give it credit for. But Chandler Jones historically has eaten the Seahawks alive. But i got to be honest, I think that has a lot more to do with Russell Wilson. And we'll find out for sure. Chandler Jones has struggled this year. He only has 19 pressures on the year, one sack. And I don't know if it's because the scheme doesn't fit him as well. Or if he's just, his aging is starting to show. But a lot of his numbers came from the Seahawks every year. Paying them twice in the division. And I just wonder, will that be the case or not? Was it just because Russell has a propensity to hold on to the ball? Or was it something about Russell that, you know, made him come to life? I don't know. Um, He didn't really have much of a presence in the the Broncos game either. So hopefully Damian Lewis in the interior can sort of hold up pretty well against Chandler Jones. I'm not particularly worried about it. Maybe that's an oversight. But I just think that there's a reason. These have one sack. And the last thing the Seahawks need is to just reinvigorate his pass rush ability right that's what you don't want to see and things have gone wrong for the seahawks if that's the case they need to be able to keep him in check he's been in check all year one sack i mean come on yeah you just gotta gotta keep that guy in check just something a key to note so those are the main matchups because the the raiders really don't have their their they got injured I a mean, hunter hunter is injured darren walla hasn't been a factor they just You know, a lot of the guys that you might would mention just hasn't been a factor this year. They've been probably one of the most disappointing teams in the league. I think it's them, the Broncos, and the Rams It's in terms of top three most disappointing teams on the season. And so that's for a reason. So there's not a ton of matchups to talk about just because they don't have – yeah, you just got to do your job. (laughs) Do your job if you're Seahawks, you're the better team, come out and win this game. Now, let's get into the keys to victory, one of my favorite parts. Let's do it. number 1 let Gino cook yes let Gino cook the Raiders are ranked 23rd in terms of pass pass yards allowed they'll let you pass home i mean they're not the worst team but the opportunities to to go deep are there and that's one thing i want to see more from Gino i want to see him be a little bit more explosive and, and Pete Carroll mentioned this we talked about this in parsing Pete last week that pete mentioned that he wants him to take some shots down the field and what better defense to do that against than the raiders give it a shot right uh you got playmakers and they just don't have corners that can stop dk Metcalf. they can stop tyler lockett they just don't have the dudes so take advantage of that and make them pay so love to see that use that to get the ground game going to get ken walker back in the rhythm but i think they should start off passing hey they worked against the Buccaneers, and they have a really good pass defense. So just goes to tell you that if they pour into their strengths, they'll be just fine. So they, they do have a better run run defense allowed. They're 17th in terms of rush yards allowed. So you might, I mean, you can run on this team, and, and that's like to say pass, 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 pass. Mix in the run game. You want to have good balance, but I think I want to see Gino test this secondary. Test the Raiders secondary, uh, stretch them down the field, uh, to open up some things, maybe in the slot, open up some uh, opportunities for the tight ends, get those guys going. But I really want to see some, I want to see at least three or four uh, opportunities where Gino is just going to chuck it down the field. I think that gets them far in terms of strategy in this game. So that's key number one. Key number two, play man coverage. Uh, Derek Carr does not play well. Against man coverage, I use the 31st ranked QB in terms of completion percentage against man coverage. He he doesn't doesn't do well. Throws them. So he's not great in zone. I think it's like 63% in zone, but it's like 52% in man. So play man coverage. You just gotta trust Tariq Woolen. You can do it. Trust Tariq Woolen to play man on man against Devontae Adams. I think he can go better than even the zone can. Especially because Derek Carr would prefer the team play zone. Go away from your tendencies. This is a zone based team, generally speaking. Go man-on-man. Man-to-man. That's key number two. And then key number three. It's not one I would always say. But I think what's going to be important is for the Seahawks to get pressure with Ford. This is not a guy you want to blitz against. For whatever reason, I think Carr has a reputation for when pressure gets to him. Folding and making interceptions and things like that. That's not been as much the case statistically this year when you really break down the sacks. He actually has a much higher sack rate when he's not blitzed. (laughs) When he's not blitzed, he has a sack rate of 17.1% compared to when he is blitzed and that's when he's 12.5%. And don't get me wrong, 12.5% is still a good rate. But he got 14 sacks when he wasn't blitzed versus only six sacks when he was. Which basically, to me, says he knows how to beat the blitz, at least this year. He knows how to beat the blitz. And he's more turnover prone when you're not blitzing him. He's had had 14 turnover-worthy plays this year. Well, 11 of them were when he wasn't blitzed. Only three were, were, was when he was. So this is not a guy you want to bring heavy pressure packages against. This is a guy you need. Chennedy Rosu, you need Bruce Urban, you need Daryl Taylor. You need your guys. You need those guys to come in and provide pressure. I'm not going to count Boyan Mafe because he's really there for run support. He's really not a pass rusher yet. You just have to kind of understand that going into it. But you need interior pressure. You need you need the front four. Or three and three, four. You need those guys creating pressure and an occasional blitz here and there, maybe to keep keep card guessing, keep them not knowing what the defense is doing. But this is not a blitz-heavy game. If they can do those things, if they can pressure with four, they can play man coverage. It also pressure with four allows them to play more coverage. And considering man, co- I think he gets more coverage sacks than anything. I think I think he's more. Likely to do something crazy when you cover up all his options, and so coverage must be elite. If you can do that, you can easily take away at the offense. Period. um He may even throw you a ball or two when when he gets those coverage sacks. So you want to keep your guys, keep them in place, play good coverage. If you do that, you play exactly into the hands, or you or you put you have the Raiders exactly where you want them. So. In all, in all in all, my final prediction for this game is gonna be Seahawks 27 to the Raiders 14. I don't I don't think they get very far. I think the Seahawks comfortably win this game. 27-14, they're at home, the 12s are there. Um, just real quick, I'm gonna do my three reasons to cheer, three reasons to fear. There are not too many reasons to fear. When it comes to the Raiders, they're, they're a better team than their record is. I, I'll say that I think they are a better team than what their record is, but I think they, they really are more like a mediocre, that mediocre team, right? 500 team is what, what I think they should be. But the Raiders do have some momentum going for them. They are coming off against a, an emotional win against the Broncos. They are looking to turn their season around. They're hoping to turn their season around and they're hoping that this is the beginning of that for them. Now, here's an underrated part that nobody's really going to talk about when it comes to the Raiders matchup. And that is Sidney Jones is now a Raider. And he wasn't happy about how things ultimately ended up going with the Seahawks. So, I'm sure he's going to give them as much information about how the defense works. I'm pretty sure he's going to be in Derek Carr's ear. I don't think he's going to play. And I don't think he'll be a, maybe he'll play. But I don't think he'll be a factor in terms of being a weapon for them. But I think his insider knowledge will provide the, the Raiders an opportunity to have a very elite game plan. I expect them to throw. I'll say this. I expect adjustments to be made because I think that this game could start slow. It could because I think that they'll have a solid game plan. They'll know the weaknesses of Geno. Sydney will tell them. They'll know what the defense is trying to do because Sydney will tell them. And unless the Seahawks have completely reevaluated or pulled out new stuff which I don't think they'll do in the bye week I I think that Jones will have the Raiders aware of some of the the Seahawks tendencies that they may not have otherwise been around or been privy to so that's another reason I don't think it'll be I don't think it'll be I think it could be a swing factor in making this game more difficult I don't think it's a reason why the Seahawks should lose but I do think it could make things difficult. If the coaches can adjust, I think it'll be fine. That's all it's going to take is just some coaching adjustments, doing some different things, and then it'll be fine. And then reason three to fear is just job Jay- Josh Jacobs, like I mentioned, in the inconsistent defense. They're right now 23rd in rush defense, and I think that's fair. I thought it actually would be worse after that Bucks game because it felt worse, at least to me, in that Bucks game. But anyway, so those are three reasons that you could be nervous, but I'm not, and I'll tell you why, because the three reasons to cheer pretty much covered it all for me. Number one, the Seahawks have the home field. The 12s will be worn and they have been back. They've been fully, well, they've been louder than they have in past seasons, and they've just been bringing the energy that the team needs. The team and the coaches have talked about it, that the 12s, you guys are absolutely bringing the energy And that is helping the team tremendously, especially the defense. Number two, the Seahawks are the better team. They're just the better team. People wouldn't have thought so. The Raiders have names. The Seahawks have talent. They have young, hungry dudes who are looking to try to prove a name and make a legacy for themselves. They're out to prove everybody wrong. They got chips on their shoulders. And they are looking to just fly and play, man. They got speed. They got athleticism. And, yeah, they, they'll make some rookie mistakes, but I just think they're flat out better, period. Like, there are not many teams I'm going to say that about in, in the three, three to cheer. But for this one, yeah, I'm pretty confident. Seahawks are better. Okay. And the final reason is I think it helps the Seahawks that they are coming off of a loss for the bye week. I'd actually be more concerned had the Seahawks been coming off of a win. Because I think they'd be riding high. It'd be easy for them to maybe not evaluate themselves as closely or as tough um, as a coaching staff, as as players. The urgency wouldn't be there. I feel like they felt like they could have won that game. And that made them mad that they didn't. I think they will come out with something to prove after the bye. I think they would take, especially with young players, you really want them to come in ready to make up for that previous game, ready to show that they're not what they were in the first half against the Bucks. I think that'll make a big difference. I think they'll they'll come in more motivated than they would have had they come in off the win. So ultimately, I think that plays into the Seahawks' favors. So guys, it's gonna be an interesting game. I think it'll be a fun one to watch. Hopefully we can be watching a Seahawks victory and look forward to getting into the second half of this season. In the meantime, be sure to follow me on Twitter. You can follow me at CandaceH901. That's candaceh 901 Be sure to follow the show, Ethos Seahawks. At Ethos Seahawks. We're trying to give you analysis breakdown. I have to do as active interactive on that as I'm to, but I promise you. I'll be coming back you guys real soon. be sure to give us a follow. Uh, make sure to give us a like. If you're listening on YouTube, also appreciate any f- comments uh, that you guys may have. We also appreciate that. That's it, guys. I'm out. And as always, go Hogs.